This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. There's always the stigma of having a skin condition because often it is in visible areas. It's on the hands, it's on the face, and you can't always cover that up with a long sleeved shirt or long pants. So there's the stigmatization, which can also impact that mental health burden that many patients with chronic skin diseases suffer from. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss weight loss and the journey to wellness. We'll learn about Garden Planning 101. We'll find out about the treatment of atopic dermatitis. And lastly, we'll explore cooking with apples. But first, a little bit of business. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. Terry Lowe is a mom, wife, and former corporate executive who now works for her family's business. After struggling with her weight her whole life, she decided it was time to make changes. And now she's a body-confident woman who believes that her body, and all bodies, should be celebrated regardless of their shape and size. Terry's a successful influencer and a WW member and ambassador who's on a journey to live her healthiest life, and she's slowly discovering what this means to her while working to help others discover what it means to them. You can follow her on Instagram and TikTok at fatskinny.girl. Welcome to the show, Terry. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So everybody knows my journey to wellness, but you're the guest on the show. So why don't you tell us a bit about how you decided to make the jump to prioritizing your health and wellness? Sure. I mean, I made a really big decision in my life, and that was to leave the job I was in and jump into a new career. And in that moment, I decided my whole routine was about to change. My life was about to change. So I might as well tackle the one thing I'd really struggled with my entire life. And so when I made the change from corporate America to smaller business, I made the immediate decision to change my life. And that very next morning, I started on what was at the beginning a weight loss journey and transformed over time into a health journey is what I call it now. Yeah, my history is similar. I was a commercial lawyer for about 20 years and I lost 52 pounds and it sort of changed my life. Yeah. So I know the answer to this question, but why do you think it's important to take a moment to pause, to think about your health journey and sometimes pivot or reevaluate or set interim goals? funny because, you know, when you're carrying extra weight, the only thing you could think about is, you know, I need to lose weight and I'll feel so much better about myself. And then as you progress through the journey, it changes, you know, all of a sudden you have more energy, all of a sudden you're feeling better about yourself, you're feeling more confident, and you realize slowly but surely that the journey is not at all actually about how much weight you lose, it's about how you feel every day. And so it's really important to pause and reevaluate your goals and reevaluate why you started because you grow as a person as you progress through that journey. And that's what's happened to me. So let's talk about those goals for a second. You know, what are some of the goals that you set for yourself that you found helpful? So at the beginning, at the very beginning, when exercise was tough and eating healthy was tough, I started really, really small. 
And it was the first time I started a diet, let's call it a diet, and said, I'm just going to do 10 minutes of exercise a day. I didn't go from zero to hero. I said, I'm just going to commit to 10 minutes. And at that time, 10 minutes walking to the end of my block was a big deal for me. And so as I progressed, 10 minutes became easy. And I said, okay, 10 minutes is now going to be 20 minutes. And 20 minutes then became 30 minutes. And then it became an hour. And then I was running 10 kilometers. And so I just set really realistic goals and didn't worry about how much time it was going to take me to get there. And that's what made it different this time. Yeah, for me, it was the realization that I didn't put on all the weight overnight. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't going to come off overnight. And, and right. you know, when you change your expectations that way, I think it makes a difference. I know that you use the WW app currently. What are some mm-hmm. of the favorite aspects of it that appeals to you in dealing with your health journey? It's a great question. When I started my journey, I actually started on the keto diet. That's mm-hmm. how I started. And that worked really well for me for a very short period of time. And then I realized I want balance in my life. I want to be able to enjoy everything. And I wanted for you know the first time in my life to have balance and a good relationship with food. And that's when after doing my research and looking at all the programs out there, I picked WW. And ever since I have been on WW, it teaches you that it's okay to have a glass of wine, maybe not eight glasses of wine. It's okay to have a bowl of chips, not all the chips. And so it really, really taught me how to bring moderation into my life. Example, yesterday was my mother's birthday. She came over. I don't normally drink wine on a Tuesday, but I did because it was her birthday and that's okay. You know, and it really taught me about moderation. And that was actually my number one goal for 2021 was figuring out my relationship with food. And that's what this app does. It encourages positive behaviors. You know, you eat vegetables, the new WW personal points. You eat vegetables, you get more points. You drink water, you get more points. So it encourages you to do the right things. And so it's been a real, real game changer for me. And it's something that I could do for the rest of my life versus something like a keto diet or lifestyle to me was not something that was sustainable long term. So you're an influencer. I guess I am too. You know, how does having the followers impact your journey? It's kind of a crazy story. You know, when I decided to change my life and focus on health, I said, I'm going to start an Instagram account and I'm going to hold myself accountable by putting myself out there. And it just has grown like crazy. And the community that I have is so amazing. And I'm going to say, I would not have gotten to where I am on my health journey without my community. Like they motivate me. They're positive. They cheer me on. I cheer them on. It's really like a two-way street. And so I think a lot of my success has had to do with the community that I have and how we cheer each other on and really make life about positive choices and healthy lifestyles and not that number on the scale. It's been a real game changer for me. You know, I have my ups and downs over the year. There's times of the year where it's more of a challenge to stay on track. And certainly as we transition into holiday season, I think that's Mm -hmm. a real issue. So how do you deal with it? I mean, it's interesting. In the past, I've said, okay, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas, I'm going to go like all out. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm not going to care. And then back at it after the holidays. This year, I'm tackling it very, very differently because of WW's new personal points. Mm -hmm. It allows you to have a little bit of everything and still stay on track. And so you earn points through exercise. I'm a big exerciser, so I earn my points that way. It allows you, again, to have that wine. I know I've mentioned wine a few times. I may like wine a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. It's important to me. <laughs> and it allows you to have the cheese and the brie and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but just in moderation. So that's how I'm getting through the holidays is moderation like any other week. 
That makes That's sense. where my focus is this year. You know, it's tough to have that moderation, you know, when we've gone through COVID, right? Because everybody, mm-hmm. you know, we, we come out of it and we just want to celebrate, right? Like we want to do those right. things that we couldn't do before, like maybe go out for dinner and celebrate right. and do all these things. What have you done? How have you found you've had to adjust just with COVID and post-COVID? It's interesting. I think one of two things happened to people during COVID. You either hibernated and ate more and became more sedentary or... You said, hey, I'm going to focus on myself. And I chose that. And it was a big decision for me because when COVID hit, I was going to the gym, like leaving my house to go to the gym. Sure. And I had to completely change my routine. And that's when I really started to pick up running. And I invested in a few pieces of equipment that I can work out at home. And so for me, it was about investing in myself. Now, when the restaurants reopened, I'm with you. I was like, give me the burger, give me the pizza, give me all the things because I'm sick of cooking for myself and I'm sick of ordering in. So, you know, you go through your ups and downs, but here's the thing, you know, you may have a very indulgent meal. It doesn't mean your journey's over, you know, and the old Harry would have been like, oh, my day's shot. I'm just going to eat, you know, terribly for the rest of the day. And now I just pause and say, okay, I had a pizza moving on. It's not the end of the world. And, you know, not the next day you move on right in that instance. Makes total sense. Emily Bjorkness is a busy mom who believes in sustainable lifestyles rather than quick fixes. She struggled with restrictive diets in the past, and once she started having children, she wanted to find a way of living that would support her whole health with a long-term vision. Emily is a WW Digital 360 coach whose coaching style encourages her team to try new things and embrace failure. She knows that anything is possible. Welcome to the show, Emily. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm good. So, you know, everybody knows my fitness story, but what's yours? What made you decide to make the jump to prioritizing health and wellness? Well, for me, it was always something that I knew should be a priority. Um, I spent years of my life working out in the gym or going on restrictive diets, but they never really worked for the long term. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think I just got to the point where I was fed up with always trying something new and always either, you know, I was either in the drive through lineup getting McDonald's or I was eating chicken and salad. Like there was no kind of in-between for me. And I recognized that if I want this to be long-term, if I want this to be part of my lifestyle, then I need to make some real changes to my behavior, not just what I was eating, but like the why am I eating? So how did your kids play into that? Like why was it your kids that, you know, had you make that aha uh-huh moment? Well, I have four kids. I had them in five years. So I was wow. pregnant for about six years straight. And in that time, I really felt like my body was not my own. And if you are listening and you have been in that situation, you can probably understand what I'm saying. So it wasn't until I knew that I was done having kids that I thought, I need to make real changes and be really present for my kids. Like, I don't want to get to the point where I can't do things for myself and I want to be able to keep up with my kids. Having four of them, I'm always running around. I'm I'm always chasing after them and I want to be able to support them by looking after myself. Anybody who struggled with their weight, and, and that includes me, has, you know, attempted restrictive diets. What are your thoughts on those and where are you now? Well, I think that they can really work. If you are looking to drop pounds quickly, they, they really can work. And I, I mean, I can speak to that firsthand, but they're not sustainable. And I just wanted to get off that hamster wheel of always trying the, the newest thing, the fattiest thing, and just make changes that I could live with. You know, I, yeah. I was sick of cutting things out of my diet. I was sick of feeling bad about eating certain things. And I really needed to find a way that 
I could eat and still enjoy life and um, still lose weight and still feel my best. So how do the personal points program, uh, how does that fit in with you? Well, with personal points, nothing is off the menu. And that sounds so cheesy when I say that, right? (laughs) But it it truly is like nothing is off the menu. I still get to enjoy my Friday night sushi dinners with my with my family right every friday night we get takeout and i sit there with my kids and my husband and we enjoy food and i don't have to feel bad about having white rice or you know when my now we're all getting together right now we haven't seen our friends in 18 months or whatever i'm i'm getting together with friends and i can have a glass of wine and not feel bad about it so i think the way that personal points works for me is that it directs me into a pattern of eating that's going to help me lose weight, help me feel my best, but also help me to still enjoy my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like the rules and you can't have this and you should have this. Yes, we know that, you know, vegetables make us feel good, right? But we also know that we still want to enjoy pizza with our friends. We want to kind of live in that gray area. Pizza makes me feel good. I, I can I can attest to that. I enjoy. I like my food. I do. Like you know, it's a it's a struggle. You're not only on a journey, but you're helping others with their journey. So you're a D three sixty coach. So what does that mean? And and what's your style? Well, for me, I get that. Like when you say to me, like I have my own weight loss journey. I struggle sometimes with my eating. I understand that because I am there too. Like. Just because I've lost weight doesn't mean this is something that I still work on daily. So in, uh, we call it Team Emily, actually, (laughs) in our Digital 360 community, uh, we really support each other and we come with our struggles, we come with our successes, and really nothing is off limits because we get each other. And um, I'm there for my members just to support them through hard times and to celebrate with them when they reach goals, whether that goal is just like I walked to the mailbox today or I tracked my food today or, you know what, I drank water before I had my cup of coffee. So all the little behavioral, behavioral goals that we set for ourselves, I want to celebrate with my team members. So you touched upon the successes, but, you know, you and I both know that with a journey, there's going to be setbacks as well. So, mm-hmm. so how do you approach the setbacks? You know, so many times people say that a setback is what derails them. But what I really believe is how we respond to that setback. So I really encourage everyone I know, all of my Team Emily members, even myself, it's hard sometimes with myself, but to rebound from these setbacks quickly And understand that setbacks, they are a part of life. Like, oftentimes when we try to lose weight, we think it's just going to be this super easy downward trend. When in reality, it's full of peaks and valleys. So if you expect setbacks and you come up with a plan on how you're going to respond to it, it makes it so much easier. Like, we just had Halloween, right? My house, I have four kids. My house was full of Halloween candy. So what do you think was going to happen, right? Of course I was going to sneak a few Kit Kats here and there. Yep. So I had to make a plan on what I was going to do with that Halloween candy instead of have it taunt me for weeks on end. Yeah, no, we had to make sure we got it out of the house. Like if it wasn't taken up, it had to go because that's, you know, like for me, it's late night eating when nobody's around, the sneaking of the little candy. Because when they're little, they don't count, right? Everybody knows that. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you set up your goals to be sustainable? Like, let's talk about the nuts and bolts of your journey. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, I used to think that I had to make these really big, grandiose goals for myself. Sorry. You know, when I first had a child, I decided that I was going to run a half marathon. I'm in Vancouver, and I decided I'm going to run the Lululemon Seaweeds, the half marathon. I have never run a 10K in my life, and that was the goal I wanted to work on. Yeah. I had no success. I think I ran one time because the goal wasn't right for me. So instead of looking at these big, humongous goals, whether that be weight loss or activity, I learned to scale it back. Um, You know, with WW, we call them star goals. We want to make them, you know, sustainable. We want to make them truly doable. We want to make them actionable and we want to make them like relatable to what our big goal is. So for me, a perfect goal is something like, I'm going to close the kitchen at 7 p.m. I'm going to clean my counters and I'm going to make myself a cup of tea. Because like you said, I sometimes, like you, I struggle with nighttime eating. So for me, that helps me remember what I'm working on. You know, it's not as easy to grab a snack from a kitchen if it's already clean. I don't want to mess it up again. No, that's brilliant. So I really kind of like dialed in on my goals. I made them smaller. I made them about my behavior instead of an outcome. We have time for one last question, and that is how does the new personal points program fit into your regimen? Well, with uh, WW's new personal points program, we have so many zero-point foods. I now have avocado as a zero-point food, so I am eating guacamole almost every single day. I have brown rice as a zero-point food. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having the burrito bowls. Um, it just kind of, like I said before, it points me in a, a healthier direction of eating and encourages me towards those foods that are going to make me feel good, all while still allowing me to have the foods that I really love. So with this new personal points plan, I am reaching my goals and I'm feeling good and I'm really excited to end 2021 really strong. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. That was Terry Lowe and Emily Bjorkness. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss Garden Planning 101 on The Tonic. Did you know that if you walk or run and are out of alignment, you increase your chances of seriously injuring yourself? We're all athletes. Healthy, injured, pro, amateur, veteran, novice. Plantiga empowers you to perform better, recover faster, and build resilience through deeper understanding of how you move. Utilizing their sensor insoles, they measure your movement in detail, speed, gait, asymmetries, and so much more. Then you work one-on-one with a dedicated movement coach that gives you personalized insights and programming to help you achieve your goals, whether that's running a race or fending off that looming injury. To reach your potential and keep you in the game for as long as possible, register for the Plantiga Movement Health Program at plantiga.com slash beta. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed. She's passionate about the connection between human health and nature and believes that regenerative gardens can create food security and broaden ecological diversity. 
Melissa has been featured on Farmer's Footprint in Toronto Life, has been a guest speaker at Allen Gardens, and has been a well-received garden expert online and in person. For more information, you can visit thegoodseedto.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Jamie? I'm busy plotting and planning for my garden next year. Does that make sense to you? Yes, that makes the most sense. I'm very excited to hear that. So most people think that this time of year, there's nothing to do. You just kind of kick back and, you know, maybe do what I'm doing and think about it, but there's actually some work to be done, right? (laughs) Yes. This is the best time to set yourself up for success for next season. Okay. So how do we do that? What should we do? Okay. The first thing that I want everyone to do is to spend a half hour garden journaling. Okay. Are you talking about like taking notes of what worked and what didn't work and et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So it's super easy to remember that right now because it's sort of still fresh in our minds, but come sort of March, April, it's going to be long gone. So take some time, write down what happened in the garden this year, successes, challenges, what you enjoyed and might like more of, what you wouldn't necessarily grow again. And also take the time to maybe look back through your phone and all those photos that we snap as we go through the season. And that can help jog your memory. Yep. That's a great idea. Always good to get out in front of it. So is this a time to consider getting some help in like a landscaper or a gardener? Like, does it make sense to even broach the topic at this point? It does. That's a great question. So if you are looking to do a major overhaul in your yard, Mm -hmm. now is the time to start contacting landscaping companies and or landscape architects and designers. They book up incredibly quickly. And believe me, you want to be early in their books for the season. So sit down, plan out what you're looking to do, where you may need help. And then go to your trusted sources, talk to friends and family who may have had work done, see if they would recommend the person or the company they worked with, and reach out. Lots of us in the garden profession are very busy sort of planning the following season right now, and pre-booking jobs is a great way to sort of fill up our calendar, and it's a great way for you to make sure you get a spot and get the work done you want. In a perfect world, when would I want that work done? Like, is that work done in April? Is it done in March? Like, when should we want to get people in to do the work? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are sort of two sides to that. There's the hardscaping stuff, which can be done usually a little bit earlier than the planting. Right. And for the planting, you know, there are two really great times, especially if you're establishing new perennial plants, and that's spring and then fall. So you don't want to have your garden designer or landscaper doing a major planting for you mid-July. No, of course not. So, you know, word on the street is that supplies this fall have been really hard to get. Like, and I'm talking about the landscaping, not necessarily the plants, just because of COVID and the supply chains. Is that something that people should take into their consideration for next year? Or do you see things changing? I still see an issue moving forward with the supply chain. And what I would encourage everyone to do is go through your garden supplies now while we have sort of some downtime. Look at what's broken, what you might need to add to sort of that arsenal that you have and buy it off season because if it is available, better to grab it now or to pre-order it and be ready once the season starts than to sort of have this big scramble. It's also easier on the budget when you space things out. How should we actually be planning for next season? When you say planning, like what Mm -hmm. do you mean? Like how do we go about that? What would you recommend? Well, 
I'm not the most visual person, and I find this exercise a bit tedious, but I also find it very successful. And that's the exercise of mood boarding. Mm -hmm. And it sounds a little woo-woo, but stay with me. Okay, I'm with you. Cultivating the images of what resonates with you for your future garden is a really great way to make sure that happens next season. Yeah, I hear you. If you're analog, grab a bunch of old magazines, you know, cut out what you like, throw it in a binder, on a cardboard, something, right? Yep. Visually see what you like. Or if you're more digital, do a Pinterest board, create a mood board in Canva, something that you have to go to for the aesthetic, the color palette, you know, if it's an edible garden, the vegetables, whatever it is you're looking to achieve next season. Can I add one? Because I actually did landscape work, not just planting, but I re-landscaped myself, my entire backyard. What people don't think about is height of the plants that they want to put in, you know, like making sure they're different heights so that totally texture and texture and, 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 and actually spacing. Some people like clutter. I'm not, I'm a big less is more guy, but some Mm. people like to bunch everything together and just sort of have the chaos and other people aren't into the chaos. So you really need to think about, okay, if I'm one of those types of people, or if I'm going for whatever kind of look you're going for, do you have the right space? And do you have the right light? And how are people actually, like, from what angle are you actually going to view it? And I think this is actually important for the front of your house because you're looking outside towards the street, but other people are looking from the street inwards. And how do you want your garden to be viewed? It's really both ways, but people don't think about that. Yeah, I love that. That's a great point. And I think sometimes it can be super overwhelming, right? Yeah, 100%. So, Go to the library where there's usually a great selection of books for free and page through. So look for sort of uh, two designers I really like. One is Piet Udolf. So look through his designs and he often has like planting plans set up right for you that you can just replicate if they match your site conditions. Another one is a British designer, Ginny Bloom. And look through the books, see what inspires you, make some notes. All of this is so much easier to do now and so much less overwhelming than rushing to the nursery come the spring and sort of grabbing whatever catches your eye. So in November, what can we actually buy? Like, what is it you would get that you could get now? So a lot of, for your uh, annuals and your veggie gardens, a lot of the seed companies are going to start releasing their catalog and some of their early product. You can get ahead and order some of those. Mm -hmm. And that matters, especially if you're growing, for instance, like specialty zinnias that only come in pastel colors and those sell out really fast. Go ahead, get those early. The other things you can be starting to research and look into, what if you're looking for an irrigation system? Right. You know, I suppose contact like the, a provider. Yeah. The, the hardware. Like there are some sales too, right? Like, like November's too late to do planting, I think. Yeah. So I'm not advocating you go out in the garden now. I'm advocating that you look ahead You look at what you need to spend over the season and see what you can buy now, as you said, at some of these great sales. And, you know, if you need a new hard rake, you're probably going to be able to get one now. Maybe it'll be on sale. So move forward, get ready, be super prepared come the following season, and you're going to feel so much less overwhelmed and your project is going to go very smoothly. Do we have to order the seeds now? Like, do do seeds run out? Is that an issue? Seeds run out and there are delays. So I ordered seeds from one company last year in January. They did not come for me until March. Gee, okay. Yeesh. So not everyone is going to have them available. But if you're a person who likes those hard copy catalogs, get on the mailing lists now. If you are fine with the digital catalogs, sign up for people's newsletters 
a lot of the seed providers are going to give you a heads up as to when new collections are launching, when the new season seeds are coming, and knowing when you're going to be able to be sort of first to make that purchase is key. Do you have a preference for Canadian distributors just because it's easier for them to get the stuff to us, or are you comfortable getting from all over? Well, I don't have an affiliation to anyone, so I'll say that right okay. off the yeah. bat. I'm just going to give you my professional opinion. Sure. West Coast Seeds in Canada has great seed selection. Locally in the Toronto area, Matchbox Seeds, Urban Harvest Seeds, those are really great. Halifax Seeds on the East Coast as well as Vessies. And then Johnny Seeds in the U.S., I find their product excellent. Terrific. What about pruning trees? When do we do that? That's a great question, and it really depends. But I want to talk about it because of the light needs of your garden. Okay. So if you have a garden that is increasingly shady, you may want to consult with an arborist now and talk to them about when best they can come in and maybe prune back some of that overstory growth to allow more light into your garden to allow you to grow more diverse plants. Cool. Now, you're not saying necessarily bring them in to do the work, but you're saying reach out to them now because it's their down season and you can plan it in the same way with like, like a landscaper, that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth having the conversation now and just saying, you know, obviously regular tree maintenance is important for the health of your trees, cutting out anything that's dead and having a relationship with an arborist that you trust is important, but also just chatting with them about your goals for planting next year. They may be able to say, listen, XYZ is the time to come in and prune back your maple or your oak or your beech, whatever it is. And at least then you're armed with that information because we all sort of get into our gardens in the spring and go, oh, there's so much sunlight here. Yep. But you know what? The leaves haven't come in. True. All right. Time for one last question. And that is, okay. why do you think garden planning and design is so important? Because we are impulsive creatures. <laughs> And buying plants is just so tempting when you're anywhere, really. But it can lead to sort of a chaotic and mishmash of a garden. And so I want you to have the garden of your dreams. Invest. Spend the time in planning just like you would interior design your home. Think about the exterior of your home. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. Have a great week. That was Melissa Cameron. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Dr. Melinda Gutteram is an established dermatologist and serves as medical director at the Skin Center for Dermatology and the Skin Research Center. Dr. Gutteram received her MD from the University of Western Ontario in 1999 and completed her dermatology residency at the University of Toronto in 2004. She's an assistant professor at Queen's University and works as a consultant physician at the Peterborough Regional Health Centre. She's a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada and vice president of the Dermatology Association of Ontario. Actively involved in teaching, Dr. Goodrum provides medical students, medical residents, nurse practitioners, and physicians with both didactic lectures and hands-on clinical training. Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? I'm great today. Thank you for inviting me. So I know the answer to the next question or the first question because I actually have eczema myself. But what is atopic dermatitis? Okay, so atopic dermatitis, sort of the the textbook definition would be that it's a chronic inflammatory disease involving the skin that is characterized by intense itch, which we call pruritus, along with a skin rash. So you can see redness, swelling, cracking, flaking of the skin. And there are typical locations where that might happen inside the elbows, behind the knees, the face, hands, but can happen anywhere on the skin. And that can range from mild intermittent involvement to severe and continuous involvement. So what is the difference between eczema and dermatitis? Are they the same thing? Atopic dermatitis is a very specific form of eczema. So think of eczema as an umbrella term involving all types of dermatitis. So we have atopic dermatitis, which happens in patients who have an atopic predisposition. So they may also have asthma, allergic rhinitis, sinusitis, those sorts of conditions. But then there's other types of eczema, like contact dermatitis that could be allergic, like poison ivy or irritant, like using too much hand sanitizer over and over. So there's different causes of inflammation in the skin, and atopic dermatitis is just one form, one of the more common ones. Okay. So how do you know if you have atopic dermatitis? How's it diagnosed? So there's no blood test or biopsy or x-ray that we can do to, to give that diagnosis. It's really a combination of signs, symptoms, we're also looking for a family history to support that. So there's, there's really a long list of features we look for, and if you have enough of them, we would come to the conclusion that you have atopic dermatitis. Okay, so you know, there's like the old saying that skin diseases are, are more than just skin deep. What are some of the, the problems that people with chronic skin conditions experience in addition to you know, the, the surface discomfort? Well, with atopic dermatitis, specifically, we can talk about general skin conditions, but with atopic dermatitis, that intense itch is really at the core of many of the issues with atopic dermatitis. So intense itch can affect, well, throughout the day, it can affect your concentration, your performance at school or at work, but it also interrupts your sleep. And yeah. that's a major factor in patients who can't get a good night's sleep, hard to face the next day sometimes. And so we see a lot of association with some mental health disorders like anxiety, depression, even suicidality in in some cases. But that's the, the psychological burden of atopic dermatitis. We also have a physical burden. So there is the skin disease itself. But the atopic comorbidities, like I mentioned, asthma, allergic rhinitis, food allergies, the other comorbidities that come along with atopic dermatitis can also, you know, when we say it's not just involving the skin, there's other epithelial surfaces 
that are also affected with the same inflammation. You know, for me, you know, I don't have it as much as an adult, but as a teenager growing up, I had it. And, you know, when you mentioned the psychological aspect of it, like for me, it was embarrassing when I had a flare up, you know, it just didn't look good. You know, and, and when you're younger, you, you know, you may be more vain or more conscious of how you appear. You know, it, it doesn't look good when you have that rash too, right? I know. Yeah, well, definitely. And that's what I was going to say about skin disease in general. There's always the stigma of having a skin condition because often it is in visible areas. It's on the hands, it's on the face, and you can't always cover that up with a long sleeve shirt or long pants. So there's the stigmatization, which can also impact that mental health burden that many patients with chronic skin diseases suffer from. So when I had it when I was younger, there were, there were two types of cream. I had one that came out in the summer. It was like it was, it was sun-related, and I had this cream that I had to put on, which was tar-based, which smelled like tar, so it was not cool. And then the other, which came out with you know changes of temperature, and it was tied to my allergies, just as you said, and sort of seasonal allergies, was cortisone-based, so it actually thinned out my skin a bit. Is there anything new out there that helps treat? Yeah, actually, that's the one exciting thing about atopic dermatitis these days is we've learned a lot about the pathophysiology or what's going on at the cellular level with the immune system with atopic dermatitis. And once you can understand that a bit better, you can develop targeted treatments that can specifically block those inflammatory pathways that are causing the rash, the symptoms, the itch. So we have new treatments. Well, under investigation, some new treatments that have been approved already in cream formulation, in pill form, as well as injectable treatments. So lots of different new therapies coming that are steroid-free, which is great because that's been one barrier, as you mentioned, with the thinning of the skin, and then patients are reluctant to use it on a regular basis. So then their disease flares up, and then they suffer the consequences of untreated uh, atopic dermatitis. So when you're talking about the new formulation, like like what's the basis? If it isn't st- if it isn't steroids, like what's the theory behind the new treatments? What we've learned about very specific cytokines, these are the chemical messengers of the immune system that sort of propagate that immune signal. And we have some treatments that are that work outside the cell. These are the injectables. They're monoclonal antibodies, so they're very large proteins, so they can't be taken by mouth or put on the skin. They're given by injection, and they bind to those cytokines, so, or they bind to the receptor of those cytokines, so the signal can't be transmitted. That's one way we can do it. Okay. The other way is by blocking inside the cell. So when these cytokines bind to the receptor, signal is transmitted inside the cell, and these new treatments will block that signal from being transmitted. And so that can be delivered either as a pill for more widespread control if you've got eczema everywhere or in lots of places, or it's also being developed as a cream so it can be put on the skin and just targeting that area of involvement. So we would consider that in someone who has milder or uh, milder disease or less body surface involvement. Are these treatments, are they available to the public or are they just at the test phase at this point? So, yeah, there are some of these therapies that are available already. So for a few years now, we've had one of the injectable therapies. It's given every two weeks. In the past couple of weeks, Health Canada has approved a second injection. So it's approved by Health Canada, but just not yet available in the pharmacy. And we've also, a couple of weeks ago, had a new pill approved, and that's the one that works inside the cell by blocking that inflammatory signal 
and that pill is already available because it's also used in other conditions that are inflammatory like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis. So that pill is available in the pharmacies already. What are some of the misconceptions about atopic dermatitis? I think I find the number one issue, because patients often do have other allergies associated, that atopic dermatitis is also an allergy. But it's not a true allergy. It's not caused by food. It's inflammation in the skin due to an overactive immune response. So that, for me... You know, patients are constantly trying to find what is that thing I'm allergic to so I can avoid it and this can go away. But because there's no allergen to avoid, it tends to become very frustrating for them. Um, They get very discouraged. And that I find that, again, adds into the mental health burden that patients suffer from. Okay, and we have time for one last question. What are you seeing as some of the greatest needs or trends in chronic skin care? in your practice? Probably, well, there's a few. Number one, with skin conditions, because a lot of the treatments we give are applied topically or some conditions such as atopic dermatitis, the skin needs to be moisturized. So there's a there's a treatment burden um, which can ad- affect adherence to treatment. So putting a cream on once or twice a day forever can, you know, be a, a huge burden and people just give up after a while. They get sick of putting creams on. So adherence to treatment always always a problem there's also you know sometimes people have been to many different doctors and given many different treatments so there's almost like a fatigue of of treatment so again things get untreated and there's consequences to to not treating and then there's also the steroid phobia or the you know with the misuse of steroids people don't want to use the treatment and then again we get the untreated disease that has consequences. So there's a huge treatment burden in these patients and that's what's so great about these new therapies are that they're more effective, they will you know, not necessarily require so much topical therapy, yet they're still targeted to the inflammation of atopic dermatitis. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks a lot for having me. That was Dr. Melinda Gooderham. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss cooking with apples on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carolyn Tanner-Cohen is the owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background, which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. 
For more information about Carolyn, you can always visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing very well. So today we're getting super specific. We're talking about one fruit today, yeah. right? Right. Specifics are good. Sometimes yeah. we'll, we'll see where it goes. We're going to talk about apples today, right? Yes, and we're in the deep dark of apple season. Yeah, or the height of apple season. (laughs) So what are the apples that you want to focus in on today? I know there's like a few that you really want to talk about. What are they? So I want to talk about four or five. Fuji, Honeycrisp, Macintosh, Greener Granny Smith, Northern Spy, and Red Delicious or Golden Delicious. Okay. Okay? Yep. Okay, let's start with Macs. Okay. Okay, Macintosh apples. And I want to start with them because they're in the height of season right now, and they are hands down the best for applesauce. At least my grandmother told me that. Okay. Okay. But applesauce is more of a technique than it is a recipe. Okay. So what I do is I wash the apples really well. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Macs are so great for applesauce because they break down so well and they get very, very mushy. Okay. okay so you don't want them for pie, but we'll go there in a minute. And if you're going to make applesauce and you love applesauce and it's very, very good for you, and I have a great recipe on my website, you can go take a look. You want to buy a food mill. Some people call it a Foley food mill. That's just a brand, but uh, a food mill. So mm-hmm. it's super easy. So what you do, if you have a food mill, you cut the apples in half or quarters, wash them first, take the sticker off. I know that's sort of like really, but you really do need to take the sticker off because you're going, they, you know, chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. Put them into a heavy-duty bottomed pot and put a bit of water, like about a half a cup to a cup, depending on how many apples. I usually do about five pounds of apples at a time. Do you peel them? Okay. No. Okay. That's the whole thing with the food mill. No peeling, no coring, only taking the sticker off. Okay. Okay. So, and wash them. So put them in, and you can even wash them with soap if you're worried about it, because you're going to rinse them very well. And you put a bit of water in, crank up the heat to medium high, and then as soon as the water, and you produce a lot of steam, starts bubbling a bit, you turn the heat down to medium low, cover, and cook, turning them every once in a while, and it takes about 35 to 40 minutes. The apple should be super mushy, and then you start spooning it into the food mill. You can let it cool if you want. Spin the food mill. Food mill, as soon as you, you'll see it on my website, what it looks like. And what happens with the food mill is that the food mill will leave the pits and the skins behind, and only the beautiful applesauce will come out the bottom. Now, why do you use a food mill and not just core the apples or peel the apples and then put it into a blender or food processor? The skin produces gorgeous color, color that yeah. pink color, and a, and a nice flavor. And also this way you don't have to peel them. Yep. Right? So that's number one, applesauce. Now, if you don't have a food mill, you could still use the skins, but you must core the apples. And then you can make something called an ugly applesauce. It's not so ugly. By putting the peel, sorry, the unpeeled but cored cooked apples into a food processor. And it'll be a little bit, you'll have little flux of the peel and that's Okay. 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 Which apple do you want to go to next? Okay. First, I'd like to actually talk about pies, and then we're going to go to the other apples. Okay. People always ask me, like, what do you use for pies? The truth of the matter is, I walk into the grocery store or the green grocer, and I usually pick one apple from each bin. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then you'll have a beautiful texture and flavor and color, except I don't use Red Delicious, and I only use one green or Granny Smith. 
and only one Macintosh apple. Macintosh, I just said, get very, very mushy, and Granny Smith are very tart and hold their shape completely. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a good textural difference between all the apples. So one Mac, one Granny Smith, one Honeycrisp, one Fuji, and definitely a Northern Spy. Okay. And a Cortland. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. Honeycrisp. So these are my favorite. They're sweet, they're very thin-skinned, and they hold up very well to baking. But mix them with another more tart variety if you're using them in a pie. And, of course, eat one every day. They're so good. Mm-hmm. Okay? Fuji's. Let's talk about Fuji's for a second. Not as delicious as Honeycrisp, but fairly close. They have a delicious sweet flavor. They're super, super crispy and firm, and they make an excellent apple for baking and especially for baked apples. So if you like baked apples, there's one on great recipe on my website. Definitely use Fuji's or even Pink Ladies. Pink Ladies okay. are my favorite eating apples, actually. Oh, yeah. They're delicious. So Pink Ladies, Fuji's, and Honeycrisp all kind of act the same when they're baked. They hold their shape decently, and they're really thin-skinned and very delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. Granny Smith. They're very tart, a little bit thicker skinned, very acidic, and they're best mixed when you use the sweeter apples, sweeter apple for pies and cakes. But because they hold their shape so nicely when baking, they're great for baked apples if you don't mind a little bit more tartness. And also great if you're doing a French apple tart, which is where you slice the apple thinly so you could see the beautiful delineation of the lines, and then you brush the tart after with um, a, a, a heated jam mixture. We actually use Golden Delicious for those types of tarts, like the tart tatin and the oh, French yeah? tarts. And, and we use we only use grannies if we're making muesli. So really? you grate them and then you put them like in a cloth and then you squeeze out all the liquid and we put mm-hmm. that into the muesli that we're making because it is right, tart. they don't brown. Exactly. Right? Yeah, they, yeah, they don't brown. Uh, yeah. And if you harvest the juice, it's actually quite delicious. Granny apple juice fresh is amazing. So mm, I love that. Well, I was going to say about red delicious and golden delicious. Yeah. I don't like them for anything. Well, here's the <laughs> thing. I could not hate any apple more than the red delicious. I don't Me know too. why. I don't know why they exist. They're mushy. They don't taste good. Their skin is too thick. They're terrible. Anybody who eats Red Delicious apples, I question their sanity. And you can write into me if you wish, but that's where I stand. Golden Delicious actually, for the Tarte Tatin, is actually a perfect apple. Like perfect. Really? Why yeah. so? Don't know, but it's perfect. Okay, because I'll use usually Pink Lady or Granny Smith, depending on what I want. But Granny Smith I do use for the Tarte Tatin because there's a lot of sugar in a Tarte Tatin. Yeah. And caramelize it. It balances really nicely. Try the Golden Delicious and get back to me and you tell me what you think. Okay. Okay. Yes, I will try that for sure. Do you make your own dough for the tart tata? Naomi does, yeah. Oh, she does. Because sometimes I'll cheat and use puff pastry. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tart tata, like, it's one of those things. It's like baking bread. It's trial and error and you have to do a bunch of them before you really get good at it. But if it turns out, I mean, it's a thing of beauty. When, when, oh, the, ap- when the apples caramelize, quite delicious. Yeah. Yep. Mm, love that. And what about you make cider? No. Have you made cider? I don't make cider, but I do make fruit vinegar sometimes. Okay, so ta- let's talk about that. So fruit vinegar is very easy to make. It's a little bit more work than just, you know, let's say jamming or jarring or whatever you're going to do, but it's yeah, yeah. the best thing that ever happened to your salad dressing. So you take a very high quality white wine vinegar, usually 6% or higher in acidity, mm-hmm. in acidity, and you want equal weight of fruit to vinegar. Okay. 
okay? And then you crush the fruit lightly with a fork. Like, you're going to have to cook it a little bit if you're doing apples, okay? Mm-hmm. Right? So you crush it, and Max would be good for this. You crush the fruit lightly with a fork in a saucepan as it's heating, and then you pour in the vinegar, and you bring everything to a simmer for like a minute or so, and then turn the heat off. You pour everything, like the vinegar and the fruit, into a hot, sterilized jar, mm-hmm. okay? And you let it cool with the cap off. Once it's cooled, you could put the cap on and put it away in a dark cupboard. So you're, t- you're doing a pickle. I mean, that's how I make uh, pickled, yeah. pickled red onions. You're just doing yeah. it with fruit. Okay. Essentially, you're doing it with fruit. And then, but what you do is you let it sit for a week or two, and then you strain the fruit out. And you put the liquid back in the jar. And I like to double or triple strain it, especially if I was doing it with apples. Mm-hmm. And then you have sort of like a cider vinegar. It's like apple cider vinegar because it's fermented, right? Yep. But it's just so tasty. Do you refrigerate or do you not refrigerate after? You know, you don't have to. You could store it in the pantry because it's in a sterilized jar and it's fermented and all of that, right? Yeah. But I'm neurotic, so I put it in the fridge. But yeah, I, I, I preserve lemons in the fridge. Yeah, I would put it in the fridge too. I don't know that I would trust it on the, on the shelf. Yeah. And how long can that keep for though? Oh, like a year. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. We have time for one last area. Where do you want to go? Well, I think if we're going to go one more area, let's talk about apple cakes. Okay. So what do you use for apple cakes? I'm not the baker, so I'm going to defer to you on this one. Right. So I like an apple that's not oozing with juice for a cake because it's too wet. Yep. Right? And if it is oozing with juice, then you should use a little bit extra flour surrounding your apples. Mm -hmm. Okay? So I like to use an apple that holds its shape. So again, Granny Smith. Fuji, Honeycrisp, but I will throw one Mac in there for texture and for like the applesauce feel. Okay. Okay. The one thing I want to tell you when you're making pies and cakes, don't peel, core your apple and then slice it in perfect thin slices on your cutting board. Instead, peel your apple and hold the whole apple in your hand and using a paring knife, chip away at the apple so that you get random size, haphazard, different densities, different thicknesses and different size pieces for your pies or tarts. Why, why do you do that? The texture difference is way better, and the pieces aren't heavy and sharp, and those heavy, sharp pieces will not break down that well and will poke through your pie crust. And my grandmother, who was a chief pie maker, always did it like this. That's interesting. Okay. You're making almost like little chippets. Cool. Well, okay. I learned something new. Thanks yeah. so much for coming on the show today. You're very welcome. That was Carolyn Tanner Cohen. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Emily Bjorkness and Terry Lowe. Melissa Cameron, Dr. Melinda Gooderum, and Carolyn Tanner-Cohen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The November-December issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.